Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 19 of the Smackdown Wind Down, recapping the highs and lows from Friday Night Smackdown on Fox. I am your host and humble guide, Keela Cash. Thank you so much for joining me as week 19 of the WrestleSoftopia Network draws to a close. Happy Saturday morning, afternoon, and evening to you all as we bid adieu to a very emotionally charged week in the worlds of WWE and AEW. It's been quite the week of change, of people opening up their eyes and ears and doing a whole lot to create positive change in this world, to wake up to our surroundings and to make this world equal and justified for all of us because black lives matter, all black lives matter, point blank, period, male, female, trans, it all falls under the same umbrella. And then it can encapsulate into all of us mattering in this world that is trying to create the change we want to see and believe is possible by walking, by donating, by going to our communities and making those changes possible. And shout out wrestling community for stepping up and showing out Pete Dunne and... Tyler Bate, for example, donating over $20,000 to Black Lives Matter by selling t-shirts in 24 hours. The charitable grassroots efforts behind the scenes, whether you do it publicly or privately, it truly means a lot because George Floyd has allowed all of us to see this life completely differently than we did seven or 14 days ago that this has been an issue seeping into the consciousness of this country for centuries. And to see it blown up and to see people are tired of the status quo, the same old, same old, and to see wrestling as a whole step up and say no more is truly a beautiful sight. And to use this platform in some small way to express those feelings is even more gratifying. So thank you, wrestling community, for stepping up this week and will continue to do so as we celebrate the Black Lives That Matter and Pride Month as well to honor the trailblazers and the glass ceiling breakers as well to make this world colorful, bright, and beautiful every step of the way. And hopefully wrestling is the perfect bridge to that gap. And sure, the infrastructure that runs the machine, it's shady as hell sometimes, but it's important to expose that within the people that are trying to make the change possible from within the performers themselves, the wrestlers that constantly put themselves out there to do the work that the higher ups are unwilling to do or unwilling to say publicly. They can have the blanket statements, but it takes the real effort to say your truth emotionally and thoughtfully and branded in complete truth. And that is something I cannot appreciate enough as well. So continue to use the platforms, donate, go within your communities and march peacefully to make the change you want to see in this world, to end the systematic racism gripping this nation and world and to make this place livable and peacefully for all. And on that note, I want to transition into all things Friday Night Smackdown from last night as we get ready for NXT TakeOver in your house tomorrow night at 7 Eastern, 6 Central 
on the WWE Network and it's subscribers only. So there is no 30 day free trial. If you wanna see TakeOver and future pay-per-view events such as Backlash, if you are a newbie and a freeloader, you gotta pay that $9.99. To quote Booker T, there is no more free 99 to get access to the WWE Network. The free tier was dropped this past Monday, but if you wanna watch the good, good stuff, you gotta drop the money. So feel free to do so and join me on Monday morning at 6 a.m. Houston with my first ever post takeover review right here on the WST network. But before we get to that, let's take a deep dive into all things Friday Night Smackdown as the show emanates per the usual from the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. Now this was a tale of two shows. On one hand, some quality matches, some great upsets, and then on the other, some chicanery, some shenanigans that left me feeling very meh at the end of the day. But there was a bold prediction regarding the main event of Sasha Banks and Bayley vying for the women's tag team titles against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross and TJ Wilson, also known as Tyson Kidd, current WWE producer, world-renowned wrestler between the ropes when he was an active performer, noted that he had a feeling that the main event was going to be special. And when you say that, sometimes the hype does not live up to the expectations, but I can safely say that it certainly lived and exceeded expectations last night due to the outstanding finishing sequence which I would get into towards the end of the show. But first things first, SmackDown recapped the controversial Jeff Hardy angle that took place last Friday when Jeff Hardy was allegedly inebriated, which caused an accident that hurt Elias and sent him to a local medical facility to quote WWE. Hardy reeked of alcohol and was arrested on the scene, but he passed a sobriety test at the police station and was released under his own power. Towards the end of last week's main event featuring Daniel Bryan and Sheamus to determine who will move on to the finals of the Intercontinental Championship Tournament, Jeff Hardy came out, distracted Sheamus long enough, which allowed Daniel Bryan to hit the running knee and will move on to face AJ Styles in the finals next Friday night on Fox. Jeff Hardy jumped Sheamus and the show ended with Hardy standing tall and him offering a reaction and a response in the ring to last week's events to kick off last night's show. Hardy cut a really nice promo describing how he was attacked from behind, like he was hit with an anvil, he was blacked out, did not remember where he was, how he got there, and he smelled of alcohol. And for a moment he thought that maybe I did relapse. I fell off the wagon and I have disappointed my family once again. But he realized that I don't think I could do this. Not like this, not right now. I could not hurt an innocent man in Elias. I could not put my own life and anyone other's lives in jeopardy. So this wasn't me. And come to find out, I passed the sobriety test, flying colors, I was not intoxicated. And a witness on the scene noted that they saw a man with red hair and a red beard flee the scene. And unless it's Ronald McDonald, we can presume that he was referring to Seamus. And he called Seamus out. And Seamus comes out, of course, and denies what happens, reiterates that Jeff Hardy is a junkie and it should not be surprising to his wife or his daughters that hubby and daddy fell off the wagon again. Hardy attacks Seamus on the main ramp, but he gets dropped with a bro kick 
as Seamus slams his head and body against the plexiglass at ringside as the opening segment comes to an end with Seamus standing tall, which will set up their match of Backlash next Sunday on the WWE Network at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Overall, this was a fine way to start last night's show. I wasn't particularly blown away by the performances. They were solid, but there is still a level of being uncomfortable when it comes to this storyline. Jeff Hardy has been sober for eight months, and that is wonderful, but it's an ongoing journey. Recovery and sobriety is a forever kind of thing, and you don't want to tempt fate by bringing real-life elements into the storyline, and it doesn't matter if he does have creative say-so in this storytelling. It does affect the psyche in some way, shape, or form, and hopefully Jeff can remain on the straight and narrow and be there for his family. And it's beautiful that he is sober and he is trying to get his life together and have one more good run in WWE. But there is a level of pushing it too far and exploiting one's past and weaknesses against them. And hopefully WWE treads very lightly with the storyline. And Jeff Hardy, if he has complete say-so, please dictate what will and will not be used, what limits you're willing to cross and will not cross for your own sobriety. And I will leave it at that. Moving on to shenanigans featuring The Miz and John Morrison as they parked a white fan outside of the WWE PC to stalk Braun Strowman throughout the night by playing practical jokes on him as if he was watching a hybrid episode of Punked and Candid Camera. It was bizarre, sophomoric, and a little dumb in some ways. I will laugh, and I will never not laugh at John Morrison's dry sense of humor by quoting the great Montel Jordan saying, this is how we do it, it's Friday night. Tremendous. His deadpan delivery, it's wonderful and he deserves the world so much more than being an attack team even though i love miz and morrison together morrison still has a lot to offer as a single star and i will take morrison and matt riddle one-on-one -on -one for 200 alex okay <laughs> but anywho they punked Strowman throughout the show by tampering with his milkshake as it exploded all over his face. They tried to slime Strowman backstage during an interview with Kayla Braxton, but Kayla ate the slime as if he was watching the Kids' Choice Awards on Nickelodeon from the heyday of the 90s in a great spot. That was funny in context, but still silly in nature. And then... At the end, Miz and Morrison destroy Strowman's car by beating the windshield in with a baseball bat. Strowman comes out, see his car in ruins, and then the guy outside of the PC tips Strowman off that Miz and Morrison are in a white van watching all the action unfold. Now, dummies that they are, they forgot the car keys and were unable to drive away from the scene. And in classic Strowman, strongman fashion, he tips the van over on its side with Miz and Morrison inside as he gets a measure of revenge ahead of their WWE Universal Championship match next Sunday at Backlash in a two-on-one handicap match. This was sophomoric, this was dumb outside of John Morrison's sense of humor, and how in the hell can I take this match seriously next Sunday? The Universal Championship is such a nothing 
on SmackDown right now. And that is no offense to Braun Strowman. There is a stopgap with him and Bray Wyatt due to Wyatt going on paternity leave since he's a daddy once again with JoJo a few weeks ago. So congratulations to the happy couple. But Strowman is doing nothing for me as the main champion on this show. His promos, his acting last week during the hit and run scene was very wooden and fake. And that's not a good thing when you're about three and a half years deep into your main event run in WWE. There's supposed to be growth in that department and I haven't seen a lot of it since then. So a lot of Strowman's weaknesses are being exposed as he is the lead guy on Friday nights. And it's telling in a lot of ways, but we shall see what they do next Sunday in a very middle of the card match for the second most important title in WWE. Sonya Deville and Lacey Evans had a return match from last week's double countout affair. And surprisingly, once again, this was a very good match. And I have to commend Friday Night SmackDown for one thing. Within the WWE, we have the women's division, whether it's for the tag team titles or the singles titles for Raw and SmackDown respectively. And it's important with so much depth on Raw and SmackDown, you have a lot of talented women who cannot compete in those title scenes at the exact same time. So you do side feuds in the meantime to make sure you shore up contenders when the time comes to vie for a championship. And in the case of Sonya Deville and Lacey Evans, this is a great opportunity to show up and show out in a spotlight match like this to really prove to the people at home and the people in the back that yeah, I'm ready and willing to step up when the time comes for my number to be called for a title shot. And this was a physical match once again. A lot of stiff punches and chops throughout. Sonya was kneeing and just laying in those shots. Lacey as well. Great ground attack as well. Nice grappling in the middle. A strange ref bump that took out the referee during the commercial break and was replaced by Jessica Carr as the action picked up. Lacey hit a beautiful moonsault from the top rope for a near fall. And then Sonya followed up with a knee for another near fall. And then Mandy Rose appeared on the big screen to taunt Sonya for not being a fighter, but for being a failure as Lacey Evans punched Sonya with the woman's right to pick up the win. Now, I was very disappointed that Sonya has lost her first match since turning full blown heel, but I get it. This is a good way to forward Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville because in my perfect dream scenario, Mandy and Sonya need a spotlight on pay-per-view to give them 10 to 15 minutes to let loose and have the match they're meant to have. Whether we can do it at Backlash or Extreme Rules where the stipulation fits in terms of the grudge match nature of this rivalry, I would love to see them have their moment. Distraction finishes suck, but Sonya did it to Mandy a few weeks ago on SmackDown when she was facing Carmella to get into the Money in the Bank ladder match on the women's side. So revenge is twice as sweet when you return the favor, and I get it. It's a silly WWE trope used for decades, but in this case, I will forgive it if I get Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville one-on-one on a pay-per-view where they can show up and show out and prove to everyone we're here too to wrap the women's division on SmackDown and we too want a shot at a belt one of these days, whoever holds that title at the time. Moving on to the face-to-face -face confrontation featuring Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles ahead of their Intercontinental Championship match next Friday on SmackDown. We had Renee Young 
doing the interviewing honors as we got a talking smack flashback during the days of Brian and Styles' great interactions on that show from three to four years ago. I miss talking smack, bring it back, bring it back in its original format, please, pretty please, I beg of you, but that's besides the point. But I love this exchange between Styles and Brian, especially a fired up Brian who says, I don't take the easy road. I wanna earn everything and I wanna defend this IC title every single week and I wanna fight the seasoned veterans and the newcomers and to have fans rally behind the underdog who they're rooting for behind the scenes when it is their time and it is their moment to break through and I am that guy that can help them break that glass ceiling to become a champion. There is no greater feeling because he has been on the other side of that coin many times throughout his career and AJ just says, hey, I'm not here for handouts. You have to earn your way and look at Drew Gulak, your coach. He's a handout, he's a charity case. And I would love to give him a handout tonight by facing him in a wrestling match because I am such a giving guy. And sure enough, they did have a match after the commercial break after Gulak tackled AJ in the ring and was really in control for a bit. But AJ dominated after the break and it was a solid five minute match that could have been great if you gave them 15 minutes to absolutely let loose. But the action was very good for the most part. A lot of great technical wrestling mixed in throughout. Gulak's Mishinoku driver, I do believe is the best in the business. It's the precision and how he drops his opponent right on their shoulders and you can sense the pain from home. It's executed excellently from Gulak for a near fall. And Styles, per the usual, gets a little cocky. He has Gulak in position for the Styles clash. And then Gulak bridges him for a package cover and gets the win. The upset victory, the biggest win of his career in WWE thus far by beating the phenomenal AJ Styles and Brian embraces Gulak on the main stage. And Styles is shocked, shook that he has a loss on his record heading into his Intercontinental Championship match against Daniel Bryan next Friday night, which was actually taped last week from the WWE PC. And by all accounts, it was unbelievably great. And I cannot wait to see how it all turns out on next week's show. But Gulak could possibly put himself in title contention by beating Styles last night. And as I mentioned, give them 15 to 20 minutes and let them have it. Let us have it as well because they're that damn good. And it's good to see Gulak get a W on his win record. We also had a six-man tag team match featuring the New Day and Shorty G. Chad Gable is his name versus Cesaro, Shinsuke Nakamura, and now heelish Mojo Raleigh since his meal ticket Rob Kwiatkowski dropped the 24-7 championship to R-Truth, has left WWE for now due to returning to football, playing tight end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with TB12 Tom Brady for this upcoming season. And therefore, Mojo Raleigh is a de facto heel once again. And this was a really fun six-man tag team match Everyone looked great. Cesaro and Chad Gable give them 20 minutes to have a technical masterpiece. Their opening sequence was outstanding. And the closing sequence was even better when Shorty G took out Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura, which allowed Kofi Kingston and Big E to hit the midnight hour on Mojo Raleigh for the one, two, three. More six-man tag team action from these trios, please. And a special nod to Gable and Cesaro because they're so 
damn good and deserves so much more than what they're given in WWE. And can you imagine Matt Riddle when he goes to SmackDown, which is imminent in the next few weeks, the opponent, Cesaro, Chad Gable, Shinsuke Nakamura, AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, just to name a few. You talk about bangers. Those are going to be classic bouts if they're given the platform to do so. Fingers crossed. And now it is time for our main event featuring Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross defending their women's tag team championship against Sasha Banks and Bayley. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Tyson Kidd noted that this had the potential to be special. And sometimes I hear that proclamation from a Tony Khan when it comes to AEW, and sometimes he's blowing smoke up my ass. But then again, sometimes those predictions do come to pass and my expectations are exceeded. And I was going into this match wondering what's so special about this match? What's gonna happen during the main event? And I will tell you this, this was probably outside of WrestleMania with Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross winning back the titles from the Kabuki Warriors. This was my favorite women's tag team title match in WWE thus far. Loved it. The closing three minutes was phenomenal. Now the breakdown of the match was pretty simple. We had Sasha Banks and Bailey working tandem. We had Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss working tandem per the usual great tag team wrestling. Alexa was on offense on Sasha and Bailey fighting back, punches slaps throughout, knees to Sasha for good measure. And then Nikki Cross takes out Bailey with a tornado DDT on the floor. And during this time, Sasha manages to take care of Alexa Bliss and is left with Nikki Cross in the ring. She puts Nikki in the bank statement. Sasha is in position to tap Nikki Cross out to become two-time women's tag team champions. And Bailey tags herself in the match. Sasha cannot believe what's going on. Like, what the fuck? Bailey is shoving out of the ring so she could put her in her own submission mode. <laughs> that Alexa Bliss breaks up. Sasha gets back involved and she manages to tag back into the match as Bailey takes care of Alexa Bliss by preventing her from getting back in the ring to break up the submission hold. And during this time, Nikki Cross reverses the bank statement into a roll up. And then Sasha reverses the reversal with the crucifix of her own to pin Nikki Cross and win the women's tag team titles. Bailey is thrilled. She is Bailey two belts. She says this is too much weight to carry, but she's going to do it anyway. Sasha's thrilled. Alexa and Nikki are stunned that they lost the titles and this was a really good match and a great way to end last night's show. There were great moments throughout this match from Sasha delivering a meteor from the top rope on the outside the Nikki Cross to the Bailey to Belly suplex courtesy of Bailey to Alexa Bliss for the middle rope and another sixth spot. The action was fast-paced, well-worked, and they had the time to shine. And as I mentioned, the closing sequence was great. It added the perfect level of tension because you could sense Sasha was about to beat Bailey's ass for fucking up this title match, but fortunately they won and the tensions have simmered for now. But my gosh, that was great storytelling down the stretch. It was sensational work from all four ladies. And I do expect a triple threat match because the Iconics did have a pin on Nikki Cross this past Monday on Raw courtesy of Billy Kay. So triple threat, 
the Iconics, Bailey and Sasha versus Alexa and Nikki at Backlash. Four set titles, we shall see. But this was a great way to wrap up an uneven episode of Friday Night Smackdown on Fox. There was some quality wrestling and there were some questionable shenanigans with Miss Morrison and Strowman being the weak spot of the show. The Universal Championship should not be trivialized and be presented as juvenile activities. And that was the case with Ms. Morrison, despite my love of them as a tag team. It's just a scene that needs an effusion of legit heavyweights and middleweights vying for that championship that can elevate it. And I don't think Strowman is that guy, no offense to him, to do that. Because I will always say his best shot was three years ago against Brock Lesnar at the No Mercy pay-per-view, and it fell short of expectations. And that was the moment when I washed my hands of Strowman as being a viable main eventer when he could not have a passable match against Brock Lesnar. And I will never know whether it was more Brock not wanting to work with him or they just didn't mesh well together in the ring. I was just done with Strowman as a viable main eventer that can win the big one. And he has been put in positions to have a shot at the major championships and then magically lose them via accident or kayfabe injury, which sucks. It stunts your momentum and growth as a performer and as someone that is capable of doing so much more. So your ship does pass, your time does pass in that regard. And despite winning the championship against Goldberg at WrestleMania in a nothing match under shitty circumstances due to Roman Reigns taking himself out of the match, and rightfully so, a couple of months ago, this was a cold start to Strowman's reign as champion, and nothing has changed since then. He had a decent match against Bray Wyatt at Money in the Bank last month, but ever since then, nothing to really write home about that screams main event level star. And that boils down to WWE missing that boat. Three years ago during his epic feud against Roman Reigns, that was the peak of Strowman's popularity and it sank right after he lost to Brock Lesnar during the fall of 2017. And that is something he's never recovered from despite the belt that he wears so proudly on his shoulder at the present moment. And with that, this wraps up episode number 19 of the SmackDown Wind Down Recap and the Highs and Lows from Friday Night SmackDown on Fox. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can follow me on social media at Lady Wrestling X on Twitter. They can find me tweeting about these podcast shows that drop on the semi daily, recapping Monday Night Raw. AEW Dynamite, NXT, and Friday Night Smackdown on Fox. Feel free to download past episodes on your favorite podcast directories as next week, WST, the Russell Subtopia Network, celebrates 20 weeks in your ears, if you can believe it or not. So get caught up on 60 plus episodes recapping everything WWE and AEW by simply searching WrestleSoftopia on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Buzzsprout, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Plus, Amazon Alexa, and Spotify. I'll be back Monday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern with my first ever NXT hangover in your house post game show right here on the WST podcasting network. Enjoy your Saturday and your Sunday. Stay safe out there and don't forget to wash those hands. See you later, boys and girls. Take care.